0: Though I hadn't bedded on more than a couple weeks, a whole summer passed before we were in the same room again. I'd flown to Austin to take care of my mom during the final stages of her breast cancer. She'd come down with it three years before, and that first year she'd had both breasts removed, but it hadn't done much good. She'd deteriorated quickly, and my sister Jenna, who lived with her husband and kids in Boulder, hired a nurse to watch over her. She had the money to do such things, but Consuela got into trouble with immigration and had to leave. Jenna pointed out that, being the only sibling without a job, I was the obvious choice to help out. I had nothing else going on. My mom and I had never been particularly close, but even with the fights and the nagging, I didn't want her to end up eating cat food, so I tried my best to make life easy for her. For most of June, it worked. I developed a schedule, even filling out the squares of a calendar with repeated errands to make sure the refrigerator was stocked and she had all her pills lined up. Toward the end of the month, though, I tired of it. I think anyone would have. When she lost control of her bladder after falling asleep on the deck, my head sort of shut off, and I left her there, crying, and drove out to the ginger man. I can see now that it was a mistake and extremely unchristian, but if I hadn't done it, I wouldn't have met Sarah, an artist from California who brought me home that evening drunk and eventually became my girlfriend, sort of. She had a wonderful body and a nice way of explaining how even my worst faults weren't even my fault. My mother and her long dead husband were to blame. It made July and August more bearable. It didn't hurt that she had a stash of the best skunkweed I'd ever smoked. Anyway, Austin is another story. The point is that, with Sarah's help, I survived Texas, even though my mother didn't. She died on August 21st or 22nd. At least, I found her around noon on the 22nd, after a long night with Sarah. She was in the kitchen, surrounded by a scattering of about a hundred pills in six different flavors. Staring at her, I thought about our last conversation from the day before, when she asked why I hated her so much. I didn't hate her, I said. I didn't hate anybody. That's because you don't care about anyone, she told me. Dealing with the bureaucracy of death was beyond me, so... Once Jenna arrived in her big sunglasses and blingy fingers, I gave Sarah a lot of empty promises, called Jerry, and flew back to Chicago. He was looking tired when he picked me up at the airport, driving his uncle's Subaru, but he also looked better. He'd cut his stringy hair short, close on the sides, and he'd tamed his errant unibrow. Also, he looked taller, maybe a half inch. Checked his shoes, but he was wearing the same old sneakers. Drink? he asked, once we were on the highway into town. Two, please. We went downtown and parked at the carryman. An Irish bar across from the Chinese consulate and a Walgreens that advertised in English and Chinese passport photos for seven ninety nine. The inside looked like every Irish bar I'd been in and after waiting for him to bring two pints of Killian's Red to the table, I asked him about his criminal enterprise. He didn't smile. I'm making progress, he said without a trace of humor. Good progress, collecting funds. Robbing liquor stores? Of course not, he said, almost a sneer. Don't tell me you got a job. A guy like me, he said, raising his glass. I make my own job description. Well, you've got the attitude, down, Pat. He finally smiled, and with the smile, it occurred to me that he really was different. The old Jerry would have been smiling from the start, cracking jokes about me and himself. He hadn't even asked how things had gone with my mom. Condolences hadn't occurred to him.